Good morning, everyone. Uh, pleased to be here with Minister Copping and Dr. Sid Viner from Alberta Health Services at the Cal Wenzel Precision Health uh, Centre at the Fo Calgary's Foothills Hospitals Hospital, excuse me, to provide an update on uh, surgical wait times in Alberta and an expansion of the Alberta Surgical Initiative uh, to reduce those wait times. Uh, we recently shared the very good news uh, that we're seeing a significant increase in cancer surgeries performed in Alberta, so much so that we're even exceeding pre-pandemic numbers in terms of cancer surgery, surgeries performed in Alberta. We're running at nearly 115%, in fact. I'm also pleased to say that more cancer patients are getting their surgeries within the clinically recommended time, uh, about 70% are now doing, are getting their cancer surgery uh, in that uh, clinically recommended period compared to 60% prior to the pandemic. So despite the disruption of the pandemic, uh, which all across the world caused uh, surgical cancellations and longer wait times, we are now seeing actually uh, that uh, Alberta Health Services is delivering more and faster uh, cancer surgeries than prior to the pandemic. The surge in cancer procedures is an important accomplishment that's worth celebrating. I'd like to thank all of those working hard, uh, surgeons and medical teams and right throughout the system and across the province. Uh, I'd like to thank all of them, uh, including those here at the uh, Foothills Hospital, the Tom Baker Cancer Center, and other health facilities around the province for working hard to deliver more surgeries and reduce those wait times. Cancer surgeries were prioritized throughout the pandemic to make sure that those who have the most urgent need would uh, get the fastest care, so it was expected the cancer surgery volumes would recover faster than the overall surgical wait times uh, in Alberta. But we're making progress across the board. We've been steadily increasing surgery capacity, and we are getting closer to pre-pandemic levels uh, for the total surgical wait list. Uh, we are doing everything possible to increase capacity in Alberta's healthcare system, including providing more surgeries to Albertans when and where they need them. In this year's provincial budget, we announced that 50 new intensive care unit beds would be open across the province over the next three years, the largest one-time increase in baseline ICU capacity in the province's history. I'm pleased to report that 32 of those 50 beds are now open and fully staffed, and more will open this fall as additional staff are hired. We're adding more resources to EMS, including a $64 million increase for EMS in this year's budget, and those funds are supporting more ambulances and more uh, EMS staff on our streets. We're doing more MRI and CT scans than we were doing before the pandemic and doing more of the urgent ones within the recommended timeframes. And we're adding capacity in continuing care. That's uh, seniors, uh, residences, and, and care homes. A million more hours of home care this year to help keep patients out of hospitals and 1,500 more continuing care beds this year alone. So patients are actually getting placed into continuing care from hospital in less time than before the pandemic. But apart from the strains on the system from COVID, surgery wait times remain one of the biggest issues in Alberta's health system. 
We campaign clearly on reducing them, and we are delivering on that commitment. In April of this year, we announced uh, that we are funding 7,000 more cataract surgeries this year, an increase of 25%. The new procedures are publicly funded and performed in privately operated chartered facilities using an approach that is a proven success. It's already enabled us to cut the wait times for cataract surgery nearly in half from 19 weeks in 2020 to 10 weeks last year. That's shorter than at any time under, for example, the previous government. In fact, shorter than any time since 2015. So if anybody tries to argue that contracting out publicly insured surgeries to privately operated clinics is risky or unproven, let's be clear the data says the opposite is true. We, co- we contract out surgeries because doing that means we get more surgeries done more quickly, all of them publicly insured. And that's why we're moving forward with our surgical plan that we uh, ran on, in addition to adding capacity in our public hospitals, because it's good for patients and it helps us deliver on the need uh, to provide faster publicly funded care. In June, I had the great honor of announcing, uh, together with the Enoch Cree First Nation, that a new chartered surgical facility will will be opened on First Nation land. I think it's a first in Canadian history. And it will offer about 3,000 publicly funded hip and knee replacements and other joint procedures in the Edmonton area each year once construction is complete. And I'm here today to announce that we are Uh, expanding surgery access in communities in central and southern Alberta as well. Alberta Health Services is today issuing two requests for proposals uh, for the south and central zones, seeking chartered surgical facilities, those are privately operated facilities, which can provide several types of publicly insured procedures in these regions. Uh, Minister of Health Jason Copping will provide more details in a minute, Uh, But uh, let me just say that using chartered surgical facilities uh, is a key part of boosting our overall surgical capacity and bringing down wait times. Uh, They did this very successfully in Saskatchewan, uh, and uh, this is a key part of our strategy. We're also adding surgical capacity at hospitals, as I've said, here in Calgary and across Alberta. But... The fact remains that more than 70,000, 70,000 Albertans are waiting for their surgeries and more than half are waiting longer than the clinically recommended period and that is simply unacceptable. We owe it to everyone who is waiting with anxiety, many waiting in pain and discomfort, some who have put their lives on hold to fix this. Of course, the situation where we uh, inherited some of the longest surgical wait times uh, in the country in 2019, despite uh, the most expensive healthcare system in the country in per capita terms. And that's why we were determined to harness the innovation and the efficiency, the additional capacity of the private sector in delivering publicly insured surgical care. Uh, the bottom line is this that we must get more patients treated more quickly, and using uh, the innovation of the private sector is one important tool to do so. You know, the problem with surgical wait times uh, growing is true right across Canada, from BC and Saskatchewan to Ontario and Quebec. In fact, a recent University of Toronto report 
in part co-authored by former BC Premier Gordon Campbell, recommended that Ontario learn from the experiences of Alberta and other provinces that are using more broadly chartered surgical facilities to provide surge capacity and to reduce wait times. Here in Alberta, these facilities have actually been operating uh, publicly funded surgeries since the 1990s. In fact, in 2018, uh, before this government launched the Alberta Surgical Initiative, which we're expanding today, about 13% of surgeries performed in the province were performed at chartered facilities, privately operated facilities. That was about 40,000 surgeries a year. We have been able to increase the number of those surgeries uh, to more than 55,000. And uh, and we are on track with today's announcement to achieve our goal of uh, more than doubling the number of surgeries performed in charge of chartered facilities. So uh, this is good news for patients who are waiting. And uh, with that, I'd like to invite Minister Copping uh, to offer more details on this announcement. Thank you, Premier, and good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you to uh, AHS and the University of Calgary for having us here on the uh, Foothills Medical Campus. And uh, welcome to the writing of Calgary Varsity, everyone. I'd like to start first off by thanking healthcare workers and physicians for your dedication over the past very difficult two and a half years. Uh, in spite the strains we've had in the system, you've provided excellent care to Alberta patients. For th so for that, I and on behalf of the government of Alberta, thank you. And thank you for making it possible to extend the hours of operating rooms at this and other hospitals in the province. Because of your, your efforts, more Albertans can get their surgeries sooner. We're working hard to continue to increase the number of surgeries through a number of initiatives and invest, investments, a number of them already mentioned by the Premier. First, we're expanding and building new operating rooms and hospitals across the province, including in Calgary, Edmonton, Edson, Grand Prairie, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and Rocky Mountain House. We've provided more funding for the project here at the Foothills campus to add 11 new operating rooms and 17 additional recovery beds. Once construction is complete, the hospital will be able to do up to 7,000 more surgeries each year. That includes cancer, spine, and cardiac surgeries where the need is greatest. But we need to do more than just add capacity. We need to manage the whole process better, from diagnosis to, recover, to recovery and rehab. And we need to try new approaches, like a trial that's currently underway in Calgary and Edmonton. It's called the Anesthesia Care Team Model, and it's being implemented in two other provinces. It allows a qualified respiratory therapist to manage anesthesia for some cataract procedures working closely with an anesthetist. That makes it possible for an anesthetist to oversee two or three procedures with a respiratory therapist providing anesthesia service in each room. This is just one example of innovation that can help ramp up surgery capacity. We promised Albertans that they would get access to scheduled surgery within the clinically recommended time, and we're working to deliver on that commitment. Chartered surgical facilities have been part of our systems for decades, as mentioned by the Premier. And they're part of our solution to do more surgeries and to reduce wait times. We focus first on increasing capacity in Calgary and Edmonton. That's because two-thirds of all scheduled surgeries are performed in these two cities. We also looked at the type of surgeries where people are waiting the longest, such as knee and hip procedures and eye surgeries. More than half the patients in those areas are waiting longer than the clinically recommended time. 
Through requests for proposals issued last year for chartered surgical facilities in Calgary and Edmonton, AHS is targeting about 30,000 ophthalmology surgeries in these facilities this fiscal year. They're also finalizing contracts targeting about 6,000 orthopedic surgeries in chartered surgical facilities per year. Now we're moving to expand access to surgeries in the central and south zones of the province. That includes Red Deer and other communities in the central zone and Lethbridge and Medicine Hat in the south zone. Through new contracts, AHS will fund an additional 1,350 surgeries in the central zone and about 1,250 more procedures in the south zone. The surgeries include hip and knee replacements, general surgeries like hernia repairs, and others. This is a step forward in a number of ways. First and foremost, it means patients will get the surgery they need done sooner, and they'll get it closer to home, making the whole process less burdensome. As I've said before, these are publicly funded services, provided on the same basis as in a hospital with no charges to the patient. It's the same service you'd get in the hospital from the same surgeons following the same clinical standards. It also has two advantages for the health system. It reduces costs, which free up more dollars to invest in doing more surgeries. And it frees up hospital operating rooms to do them with a focus on more complex surgeries that need to get done in a hospital setting. Long wait times for surgery were an issue before COVID in Alberta and, quite frankly, across the entire country. They hurt patients and they hurt confidence in our healthcare system. We've gotten used to accepting them. And quite frankly, we shouldn't. Our system provides great care. But let's just say the obvious. It doesn't matter how good the care is if you can't get access to it. So we're doing something about it. We campaigned on this issue in 2019 on giving every patient their surgery in a clinically appropriate wait time. It sounds simple, but this is an incredibly ambitious goal. We've never done it before as a province. And in fact, no other province has done it. But we set to work to deliver on that province the day we were elected. And we stand by that promise today. Now, the pandemic has stretched out the timeline, but it's still the right goal and the right objective. And this announcement today is another concrete step towards achieving it. The new contracts will make a real difference to the people in Central and South Zones. And it's part of our commitment to Albertans, a stronger publicly funded healthcare system with better access to care. And I now would like to call upon Sid Viner to speak more in regards to details uh, regarding the, the RFP, and then we'll take questions thereafter. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for inviting me to join today. It's my pleasure to be here today to talk about the work we're doing in partnership with Alberta Health to improve the wait times of Albertans waiting for surgical procedures in our province. We recognize surgical wait times have been top of mind and of significant concern to Albertans. We also recognize there are are many questions about what is being done to reduce the surgical wait list. We know timely access to surgeries is important to Albertans. We are dedicated to ensuring Albertans receive surgeries within clinically appropriate targets. Bringing surgical wait times down is a complex and challenging task particularly given Albertans' aging population and the impact of the pandemic. HS, in partnership with Alberta Health, developed the Alberta Surgical Initiative, or ASI, a plan focused on improving the patient's surgical journey 
and aimed at ensuring that all Albertans receive their scheduled surgeries within clinically recommended targets. The focus of the ASI touches all phases of the patient's journey, consulting with their family doctor and being referred to a surgeon, meeting with the surgeon for an assessment, preparation for surgery by the surgeon and surgical team, receiving surgical care, and recovering from surgery and returning to normal life. The ASI reflects input of patient advisors, operational leaders, physicians, surgical teams, quality improvement programs, and primary care partners. Through the ASI, we will continue to provide quality surgical experiences and outcomes for the people of Alberta. Many successes from the ASI have already been achieved. For example, by updating provincial wait lists, including using an auto-dialer program to confirm surgical status with patients in the Edmonton zone, wait lists in Edmonton zone improved by up to 5.6%. We're expanding this work across other zones over the coming weeks. As mentioned already, operating room hours were increased at main OR surgical suites, including the FMC that we're at today. And over the past few weeks, we've begun implementing a central access and intake model called the Alberta Facilitated Access to Specialized Treatment, or FAST program, which centralizes referrals. This will create an opportunity for Albertans to be able to access the most appropriate surgeon in the quickest time. With initiatives like these and increasing access to surgeries in local communities, through requests for proposals for chartered surgical facilities across the province, we are able to continue to improve surgical access and reduce the surgical wait times for Albertans. Working in partnership with Alberta Health, we're moving towards making sure patients and families receive the surgery they need when they need it, according to clinically appropriate targets. I would like to thank all of the teams at HS who are working together to make this happen, we value all of you and your dedication to Albertans. Thank you again for having me here today. Thank you, Dr. Viner. That concludes the formal portion of today's announcement. We'll now move over to a media Q&A. There is a microphone over beside the cameras there for uh, any in-person questions. When you go to that microphone, please state your name as well as the outlet and who you're directing your question to. Uh, and with that, we'll uh, open things up for our first question. Good morning, Tiffany Roquette from uh, CBC French Radio Canada. And if I can get uh, the premier in both languages, that would be really good. Um, just to start on this announcement, 2023 was the target at first to get to um, all surgery in uh, the appropriate times. Uh, are we going to fail this target and what's the next target going to be? We will not achieve the targets that we set in 2019 because of the impact of COVID. As you know, uh, like every jurisdiction in the world, we had to postpone uh, a large number of surgeries uh, through the COVID era. And so um, we simply, it's uh, logistically impossible uh, to both make up for the COVID delays and to uh, also get ahead of, uh, achieve all of our initial targets. But for certain procedures, we will achieve the targets, uh, such as cataracts. Um, and as I've said, in cancer surgeries, we are doing more, better, and faster. Uh, but in terms of general surgeries and, uh, for example, uh, nip and he uh, knee and, and hip 
uh, surgeries, for example, joint surgeries, uh, we're not quite, quite going to hit the targets. And I could perhaps invite uh, Minister Coppin or Dr. Viner to provide a little more uh, detail on that. But that's not going to stop us from doing everything we can to, to both catch up and, and uh, reduce uh, the wait times as we committed to do with our surgical wait times guarantee. Uh, and I think with the huge expansion of the number of chartered uh, surgeries that we are contracting, we will be in a better position than any other Canadian province uh, to get, out, get on top of this national problem. Um, je dirais que uh, nous, uh, nous ne sommes pas dans une position d'atteindre nos objectifs qu'on a publié en 2019 à cause des retards avec COVID-19, comme tous les euh, pays au monde. Il a fallu que nous annulions euh, dizaines de milliers de surgeries euh, pendant la pandémie. Et à cause de ça, les arriérés dans, pour les surgeries euh, se prolongeaient euh, pour euh, plusieurs euh, procédures euh, pendant les deux ans de, de, de la pandémie. Alors, euh, il, y en a il, y a, il y a certaines procédures où nous euh, allons atteindre nos objectifs, euh, par exemple pour les cataractes et, et pour le cancer. Euh, mais en euh, ce qui concerne euh, les surgeries, surgeries générales, euh, nous ajoutons plus de ressources, plus de procédures, plus de médecins, plus des, euh, des hôpitaux euh, privés, mais euh, ça serait logistiquement impossible d'atteindre les objectifs de 2019. Thanks, Premier. Just to, just to reiterate, uh, we're not going to hit the targets um, within within four years, uh, but we are going. We are actually making uh, significant progress. And just frame of reference, uh, we had on the waiting list 68,000 uh, pre-COVID. Uh, that went as high after the Delta wave is just, you know, uh, north of 81,000. We're back down to 73. Our objective this year is to get it uh, not only below the 68,000 uh, pre-COVID, but make a substantive impact. And, and quite frankly, we are making an impact. When you look at uh, ophthalmology, uh, cataract surgeries, that used to be the category where the number, the highest category of people on the wait list is now dropped down to number three. So below uh, orthopedic and general surgery is number three, and it's continuing to drop. And the reason for that is because we leverage chartered surgical facilities to get those numbers down. So this approach is working. Uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, we're not going to be able to get it uh, hit our targets by the end of uh, the, the next fiscal year. Um, but we have a plan in place to actually get to hit those targets uh, over the next you know, 24 months, uh, within the next 24 months after that. And, and we will do that. Do you have a follow-up today? Yes, uh, unrelated to the announcement, but I would like to hear the Premier on uh, the ish Reindexation. A lot of economists are pretty thinking that it would have been a good idea to reindex to inflation. It would have made a big difference. Uh, Trevor Toome saying it would only cost $82 million to increase age by 6% this year, which would be the rate of inflation. Why didn't you do it? Well, if Alberta already has by far the most generous uh, support for persons with disabilities. Uh, in fact, uh, we are 37% more generous. Uh, than the next most generous province. So um, we already provide by far the most generous benefits. Each is not the only benefit that uh, most of those beneficiaries, uh, all, first of all, they, people can uh, have a, a very generous opportunity uh, to get earned income without that being discounted from their age payments. Many individuals also benefit from various forms of social housing and other social benefits, both federal and provincial. 
We acknowledge that everybody is struggling with the rising cost of living and inflation, higher energy and food costs. Uh, we uh, don't want to add fuel to the fire of inflation, as some governments are doing, by just spending more and more. In fact, it is uh, uh, irresponsible government fiscal policies that are partly the, the cause of the 40-year high inflation that we are experiencing right now. So we had some very serious discussions about uh, options, and we decided, look, we had made a clear commitment to um, re-index the tax brackets as soon as the province's finances were stabilized. But we don't want to get too far ahead of our skis. You saw that yesterday oil prices declined again. You, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, oil was at $120. Today, it's uh, trading at $85. And our uh, premise for a balanced budget is based on $70 oil. So we can't make the mistake of the past of jacking up our spending across the board uh, based on some temporary high oil prices. So we have to continue to exercise uh, caution. That and indexation of of, uh, some other programs is always an option for government if the fiscal situation uh, continues in a, in, a, in a positive direction. You want that in French or a little version of that? Um, écoutez, l'Alberta a déjà les, euh, les paiements les plus généreux au Canada. En ce qui concerne les personnes handicapées, euh, c'est 37% plus généreux que euh, le Colombie-Britannique, par exemple. Et, euh, nous, et nous avons plusieurs autres... Euh, euh, programmes sociaux dont les gens profitent. Je sais très bien que les gens euh, ont difficulté avec l'augmentation du coût de vie, avec l'inflation, euh, mais cela étant dit, c'était les, les euh, politiques fiscales irresponsables de plusieurs gouvernements qui est une des causes de cette inflation. Et nous avons décidé comme gouvernement de ne pas ajouter à cette pression euh, fiscale euh, qui a mené vers l'inflation. Mais cela, et il faut être prudent au plan fiscal parce que, euh, ça fait quelques semaines, le prix du pétrole était 120 dollars. Aujourd'hui, c'est 85 dollars. Et ça peut continuer à diminuer. Rappelez-vous que le plan pour un budget équilibré était basé sur un prix de pétrole de 70 dollars. Alors, il faut être prudent, euh, mais c'est toujours une option pour les gouvernements à l'avenir. Hi, Colleen Underwood, CBC. I actually had a question about the announcement. Just to um, explain exactly, uh, first of all, these uh, additional surgeries in the central and south, is that per year, and how will that impact the uh, your goals? So I'll start off, and then I'll ask Dr. Viner to jump in yeah, as well. Yeah, please do. So, so the answer that. is, uh, yes, it is uh, per year. So that's the additional surgeries that we're actually contracting for. Um, and that's in multiple categories, so, you know, including uh, uh, orthopedic and, and, uh, and general surgeries. And what that's going to do is add capacity to the entire system. So not only does it, um, uh, it take surgeries out of currently that's being performed in the Red Deer Hospital, uh, and other hospitals in the in the central area, and puts them in a charter surgical facility, uh, so that you get you get you get the double bang for the buck. So you, then you open up capacity there for more uh, for more uh, complicated surgeries that can be done uh, within the hospitals and increase the entire capacity. One of the challenges, of course, is is uh, and this is why we talked to um, uh, about anest the anest 
anesthesiology uh, and the availability of anesthetists uh, in terms of that program so that we can actually do more with the same amount of people. Um, so we continue to uh, focus on staffing to make sure that we can support this plan. Uh, and then this will actually be able to, you know, you, it's not quite a two for one because you get, it takes longer to do in the in the hospital some of the more complex surgeries, uh, but it does free up, the, free up additional capacity. But Dr. Viner, if you want to comment on that, that would be great. And also, Dr. Varner, just to clarify, um, are these, it's two facilities, right, that you're looking for a request for proposal? Is that in Calgary or any city, or where are you looking? So the RFP is for a facility in Central Zone and a facility in South Zone would be okay. two, two separate facilities. Um, the volume of uh, 1,350 cases for Central Zone is the floor or the minimal volume, the volume uh, we, we end up uh, delivering could, could be higher than that based on need and the uh, capacity of the facility. Similarly, for South Zone, that uh, 1,250 is, is a minimal volume. Um, as uh, Minister Copping said, uh, the focus is on orthopedics, general surgery. We worked with um, our clinicians, clinical leaders, uh, administrative leaders to identify the procedures that um, could be done in a chartered surgical facility, freeing up capacity in the hospitals, delivering the most value from a clinical perspective uh, within those two zones, and ensuring that we're not going to move any procedures better done in a hospital, uh, you know, to chartered surgical facilities. So this is... Uh, definitely value add in addition to and um, the way we um, view the capacity in the chartered surgical facilities really as an extension of the overall uh, surgical capacity we have within uh, within the zones and within HS overall. And Colleen, do you have a follow-up today? No, that's good. Thanks. Uh, I'll try to adjust this here. Uh, a question for the Premier. I feel like one of these rock musician guys trying to adjust the microphone. Uh, mine actually, I've, I've learned from yesterday when you made a bet about to, well, people to go on topic. I'm, I'm actually going to ask you a healthcare question, though it isn't about the announcement, but at least it's healthcare. So I'm moving forward. We're in a hospital, fair enough. Uh, we're in a hospital, and that's why I thought of the question. What do you say? I know you're not commenting on 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 particulars of, of candidates or leadership stuff, but. Um, one thing lurking in the background of, of a lot of people's discussions uh, is the issue of Alberta Health Services. How do you react to people who would like to see major, major changes at Alberta Health Services? Some of them saying Alberta Health Services needs to be gutted. We're talking about at the top level, not not the not the sure. staff. But what do you what do you say to those people who want to make Alberta Health Services, you know, a major, major shakeup? Well, as I've said for some time, there needs to be greater accountability. And um, I can say that uh, the board of AHS is substantially different than the board that uh, this government inherited. And there is a search process for a new uh, president and CEO of Alberta Health Services. Uh, the uh, previous CEOs, uh, she departed uh, a year before the end of her contract period. And so... Um, uh, there will be there. We're in the process of a, of a change in the key leadership of uh, Alberta Health Services. Albertans are right to 
expect accountability. This is an enormous publicly funded organization with huge responsibilities uh, of a life and death nature. Uh, our, uh, there, there is not a want of resources. Uh, it's an organization with, I uh, believe, about a $16 billion budget out of our health budget of, of some $22 billion. Uh, we have one of the most expensive health systems in the country, and Canada has one of the most expensive publicly funded systems in the world. Uh, it's, uh, we have um, one of the highest per capita numbers of uh, doctors and nurses in the country. And so um, the constraints on healthcare capacity that we experienced during COVID were, for me, in some ways inexplicable. Um, I know there's a general problem in Canada, but we, the system was not purpose-built and, frankly, did not respond to political direction. Uh, from government to increase a baseline capacity uh, for uh, critical care, uh, which was a which meant that we, uh, on two or three occasions, were very very close from running out of critical care capacity, despite the best efforts of the wonderful people that work in the system. So uh, that is why the government is completely focused on increasing capacity. That's the clear direction we've given to the organization, and I'm pleased to see. Some progress being made. Uh, we put out uh, money this spring uh, to uh, staff 50 additional ICU beds, and we've already opened up uh, 32 of those. So uh, uh, progress is being made. Um, you know, when I uh, when I became premier, I we all knew that there were uh, structural problems in the system, um, but my view was in terms of you know, the idea of just sort of blowing things up and resetting them is we've done that so many times in Alberta without any progress. R- Ralph Klein took 100 local hospital boards, uh, blew them up and merged them into one provincial health system. And after about eight years, people said, that's not working. There's way too many problems. And so they created a bunch, I think it was seven regional systems. And after about six or seven years, they say, oh, this isn't working. There's not enough accountability. There's too much waste. Two wait times are too long. So they created, went back to one big provincial system. So I looked at that experience over the past 30 years and said, well, we could, you know, put on a political show here and, and restructure the whole thing and send everybody running around uh, creating a, new organizations and new governance structures instead of focusing on actual outcomes. So I, what we've decided to do is to just to focus on the, uh, stick to our knitting, focus on outcomes, uh, as opposed to just replaying the endless cycle of structural changes at AHS, which uh, we've seen for 30 years. And my sup- supplementary question, Mr. Speaker, is uh, are you... Uh, you did so much, of course, for the United Conservative Party, the whole idea of the United Conservative Party, uh, going back to that... Uh, news conference I remember in Calgary years ago, are you concerned, depending on whatever happens in the next weeks and months prior to the uh, May election next year, are you concerned about the unity of the United Conservative Party? And are you concerned that the NDP could actually win the next election? Well, yeah. Depending on what happens. 
Conservatives should always be mindful of that possibility, and they should always realize that unity doesn't happen by accident. It requires ongoing uh, work and effort. Uh, and so too does national unity. Uh, and uh, so uh, I uh, <laughs> have spent the last several years of my life focused on unity amongst free enterprisers in this province to present a credible mainstream uh, free enterprise alternative to the NDP. And I've spent 30 years in public life defending national unity at the same time. Uh, both of those unities are very important to me. Okay. Thank you, Premier. Uh, we'll now move over to the calls. Uh, the <clears throat> Phones take some calls. Uh, operator, can you please put through our first question? Dave Kaiser, CTV. Good morning. That's a question for both the Premier and Health Minister. It seems your reside program, which, uh, if I recall right, was hoping to place about 20 doctors a year for three years, has only placed one doctor so far in Cold Lake. So I'm wondering why the program isn't working and what you're going to do to try and uh, make good on those goals that you set. Uh, thanks, Dave. I'll invite uh, Jason to uh, chip in with more details. But I do know I've heard a, a lot of positive anecdotal reports about more uh, physicians being recruited in rural communities. That It often takes time. But I, I've been told, for example, that in St. Paul, where they had a, a significant shortage of physicians uh, a year ago, that several new physicians have been recruited or are now working in and around that community. And I've heard that about a number of other places. As you know, we added, um, I believe it was $80 million to the health budget specifically for rural physician retention and recruitment. Uh, and we, I believe, have the most generous incentives for rural physician retention and recruitment in Canada. Uh, just to put that in context, uh, there typically is only about 800 uh, rural physicians. So that's an investment of upwards of $100,000 per physician on top of the incentives that already existed. Uh, and we've also added, uh, proactively offered to the uh, Union of Nurses in their collective bargaining, uh, dedicated money for rural nurse uh, retention and recruitment. Uh, and uh, I believe this is also an issue in the ongoing discussions that uh, Minister Copping is having with the Alberta Medical Association. I'll invite him to comment further. Thanks, Premier, and, and thanks for your question on the Reside program. Um, uh, the Reside program, as, as indicated by the Premier, the intent behind that was to, to be able new grads to be able to come out to rural Alberta. Uh, we've received some feedback on the on the program. You know, for those who are who are applying who applied for the program, uh, and also from the uh, RPAP, you know, so the, the, the uh, organization that looks at our, our rural programs and in terms of how do we get more uh, residents and, and doctors out there. Uh, there will be an announcement coming uh, in regards to changes to the program. We recognize that. Um, we haven't got uh, a full uptake on that. Uh, so, you know, we, we're moving very quickly. I, I can't give you the announcement right now, but it's coming in a, in, uh, in a matter of uh, a week or two uh, that we're, we're ch modifying the design of the program uh, because at the end of the day, we need to leverage all of those dollars uh, to be able to get people in. And if you want some more details in regards to the exact numbers, I don't have them uh, at my fingertips right now in terms of how many have been placed to date. Uh, please contact our, uh, our press secretary, Steve. Safe. Do you have a follow-up? Yeah, thanks, Harrison. Uh, looking to follow up with the Premier here. Mr. Premier, a lot of people expected you to be a, uh, a lame duck Premier, so to speak, while the UCP leadership contest continues. And while that doesn't 
seem to be the case here. A lot of the recent announcements you have made can easily be overturned by the next leader or the announcements you've made that require new legislation may simply not happen. So what I'm wondering is, is it a good idea for you to keep promising Albertans more and more things that you won't personally be here to see through? Well, Safe, I was very clear in my decision to stay on until a new leader is elected that I was doing so to keep momentum uh, as Alberta moves forward and to keep our commitments that we were elected on. Uh, just over three years ago, we this government received the largest democratic mandate in Alberta uh, history with over a million votes for the first time ever cast for a government. And uh, we ran on a very specific platform. And it's my job, my responsibility to deliver on that platform as long as I am premier. Uh, so uh, if somebody else in the future decides that they're not going to implement the platform that the government was elected on, then that they'll be accountable to Albertans. But I am. Uh, responsible for implementing that platform. And part of that platform was the Alberta Surgical uh, Initiative. It was this plan to uh, leverage the innovation and efficiency of the private sector in delivering more surgeries to reduce wait times uh, and give people faster care. So today is a good example of keeping that commitment. Yesterday I announced uh, the creation of the Premier's Council on Skills. That was a platform commitment. to focus on our uh, effort to valorize the trades and, and experiential learning, apprenticeships, and and to say that a, a trade certificate and a, a journeyman status is worth every bit as much as a university degree. That's the policy that I that this government ran on, and we continue to implement that. Um, so uh, we made the difficult decision to. Uh, temporarily de-index the tax brackets because of the fiscal crisis that we inherited, our commitment was to get the province's finances back in order and to do that without cutting health care. Uh, and that required de-indexation, but we, we promised Albertans repeatedly, including in this February's budget, uh, to re-index the tax brackets as soon as we could, and hence the c- commitment that we've kept. So, safe, I am doing my job. Uh, and, and, you know... I was very clear that if I had uh, stepped aside in April, we would have ended up with an interim government, uh, probably with a whole bunch of new ministers learning their files, and then a paralysis in government for several months, and then a new premier in government being sworn in, which takes a period to transition into uh, action. So the government of Alberta, I think, would largely have been paralyzed for several months. During a critical time, as we're emerging from the COVID crisis, uh, while our economy is uh, recovering uh, in a big way, uh, while we have to defend Alberta's interests in the Federation, makes no sense. Um, So I'm doing exactly what I committed to do, which is to continue the momentum and progress, uh, to continue uh, creating jobs, growing our economy, focusing on pipelines and a stronger Alberta. Thank you. Operator, can you please put through our next call? Catherine Grigowski, Alberta Today. Um, thanks very much. On, so on um, the surgical wait times, um, the health minister had said the target is below 68,000 by the end of the year. I'm wondering how you're preparing for that fall surge of COVID and how that's going to impact surgical wait times. So thanks for the question. I'll start off, then I'll ask Dr. Viner to uh, to supplement. 
so we, we do recognize that we're going to get a, uh, another uh, flu season is going to come in that will impact uh, capacity as well as uh, you know potentially another wave of COVID. Uh, we are putting plans in place to be able to manage that. Uh, but, the, but the big approach is, is, is increased staffing uh, and increased capacity. Uh, the Premier spoke about it in his remarks in terms of the, the investment of uh, additional $600 million uh, base funding uh, this year. That's another $600 million year after, $1.8 billion over a period of three years, uh, on top of the highest amount that we've invested uh, into our, our system. Uh, it's hiring more indiv- uh, more people. Uh, this is you know, attracting more doctors, uh, but also uh, more nurses and, and other allied health professions. We are continuing to do that to build capacity in the system, and, and the charter surgical facility is just another way to 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 do that. So we you know we understand uh, that you know we're going to you know, get another wave. Uh, it's going to happen this fall. Uh, and it's likely going to be a, a bad flu season, as from the initial reports that we're uh, we're, see, we're seeing. Um, but we continue to add capacity throughout the system. We have been, you know, ever, you know, uh, you know, throughout, uh, and particularly with the additional funding, you know, we've seen in the, you know, as the premier sp- spoke to it about uh, ICUs uh, capacity and, and additional people to be able to provide the surgeries. So that's part of our overall of our plan to get not only to the sixty-eight thousand, but uh, a significant impact below that uh, over the uh, the next nine months. Uh, but Dr. Vine. And if you want to talk to the specific planning that's going on, that would be appreciated. Thanks, Minister, and thank you uh, for the question. Really important. Um, yeah, as was noted, it's, it's about adding capacity and um, protecting the capacity that we have and, and that we'll be adding come fall. And uh, we'll do that through... Um, um, Measures that we know have worked in the past, uh, you know, promoting uh, vaccination, uh, particularly uh, for patients who and people who are more vulnerable to uh, serious health outcomes, um, our staff and physicians, so that uh, they're able to uh, um, continue working and uh, aren't sidelined by illness um, through rigorous uh, adherence uh, to. Um, infection and prevention and control measures, and uh, as noted, through adding surge capacity both inpatient and ICU so that uh, we can protect our surgical capacity in the early waves uh, in order to create capacity. It was done, uh, you know, both in uh, Alberta but throughout the world largely by... uh, or at least in part by moving into surgical capacity, uh, we'll do you know absolutely everything we can to uh, protect and maintain that capacity. Yeah, uh, I just uh, would like to uh, add a comment, which is I, I don't necessarily accept the premise of the question that there will be uh, significant additional pressure on the system. Uh, from a potential uh, fall wave of COVID-19. We don't have a crystal ball, but we do know that the uh, new variants of the disease uh, uh, continue to have uh, less severity uh, with lower levels of hospitalization. Of course, in the summer, we saw uh, what I would characterize as a relatively small wave of the Omicron uh, B5 subvariant here and around the world, we, we monitored, that, monitored that very closely, but it did not result in significant additional pressure on the healthcare system. Uh, we uh, have uh, high levels of vaccination. Uh, many people have also acquired natural 
uh, immunity from prior infection. And uh, as we watch COVID here and around the world, it appears much like the Spanish flu in uh, 1918 to 1920 to be moving to less and less severe subvariants. Of course, there's always the, I suppose, the possibility that, that uh, things would go in a different direction, but that would be, I think, almost unprecedented in epidemiological history. So um, we, we're all, we always have contingency plans to address uh, the need for surge capacity, but I don't think we should assume that that's what's going to happen. Do you have a follow-up today? I do. Since the Premier's off at the mic, I want to follow up on his answer to Rick Bell about um, Albert Health Services not following the political direction of expanding the capacity in the system. Is my understanding that in order to get those initial targets that were outlined at the beginning of the pandemic, that would involve some pretty extreme measures like cancelling surgeries and and procedures, um, adding staff that we didn't have, putting beds out in hallways. Can, can you just elaborate why you think Alberta Health Services did not adequately follow well, your political direction? I'll just say we did not have adequate information because uh, at the beginning of the pandemic in March of uh, 2020, we were told that uh, surge capacity Maximum surge capacity for intensive care could be up to 1,060 hospital beds. That number went down, I think, to 470 in uh, November of 2020. And it went down further, and we were informed uh, exactly a year ago, a year ago this week, uh, as we were approaching the height of the Delta wave, that uh, maximum surge capacity was, I think, 230 ICU beds. So one quarter of uh, and, and that's using all of those strategies you've articulated. We did, sadly, have to postpone many surgeries, as did every province. Um, we we did have to take fairly uh, unprecedented and extreme measures, uh, it, it, frankly, uh, to to push that number, because as you know, the the baseline uh, the the baseline ICU capacity for our healthcare system that this government inherited was 173 staffed ICU beds. So we were given a September surprise uh, a year ago that uh, the best the system could do was to stretch from 173 to 230. Which uh, uh, now. There are complex reasons uh, for that, but it was, in my view, unacceptable uh, to have uh, decision makers uh, surprised with that uh, radical reduction in stretch capacity uh, at the last minute in a critical moment. And uh, I don't think that would be acceptable in, uh, in any institution. Um, and so we had to... Um, look at every possible means of increasing that surge capacity. And eventually we uh, established a total maximum surge capacity with all of these kinds of strategies you've you've mentioned of 380 ICU beds. We capped out at about 335 at the peak of the Delta wave uh, in September of last year. So, you know, uh, all politics aside, decision makers need clear and timely information when you're dealing with a crisis like this. And um, we simply did not receive that. All right, folks, we have no other callers on the line, so that wraps things up today. Thank you.